0: All right, everybody, it is Monday, March 27th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwinunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And we also debate whether Michelangelo's David is a classic statue from the Renaissance or just some pornography, Jill.
1: I think if you think it's pornography, you don't really know what pornography is. But we'll explain. <laughs>
0: We'll have a breakdown of that story wait till the end of the speed read
1: all right let's get to some headlines here deadly tornadoes hit the american south this weekend we'll have the latest we're watching escalating protests in a couple of countries in france the garbage is piling up as millions of people demonstrate against retirement and pension reform and in israel the country will be a standstill today over attempts by the government there to reform its highest court Putin says he's moving some tactical nuclear weapons across the border. We're gonna break down what to make of it. Actress Gwyneth Paltrow testified in her ski accident trial on Friday, and it made for some entertaining moments. Planning an overseas trip this summer, we'll tell you how long you might have to wait to get a passport. A warning about the drinking water for nearly 14 million residents around Philadelphia and the Delaware River area. And we're tracking college basketball. The NCAA men's final four is all set. And the women finalized their final four today. And as we were mentioning, a Florida school principal loses her job over a lesson that included a picture of the famous statue of Michelangelo's David. Some parents saying it amounts to pornography. And now the Italians are chiming in. And Mosh has on this day in history.
0: Jill, it is a Pope for Reround today. We remember the singer Skilo, the polio vaccine, and a big day for Viagra, Jill.
1: Mosh, as I always say, we've got range. <laughs> okay, Mosh, but some serious news to get to. Help from across the nation is pouring into one of the poorest regions in the United States after a deadly tornado tore a path of destruction for more than an hour across a long swath of Mississippi. At least 26 people were killed and dozens of others were injured in Mississippi and Alabama as that massive storm ripped through more than a half dozen towns late Friday. Search and recovery crews spent the weekend digging through flattened homes, commercial buildings and offices after hundreds of people were displaced. Sharkey County, one of the poorest in the country, is the epicenter of the damage. It's just northwest of Jackson. The town of Rolling Fork was among those that saw widespread destruction President Biden issued an emergency declaration for Mississippi early Sunday, making federal funding available to hardest hit areas. Edgar O'Neill, a storm chaser who was on the ground in Rolling Fork, said that the tornado caused complete and utter devastation. He described, quote, houses gone, gas stations destroyed, trees, power lines blocking entrances everywhere, stray animals, people wandering the streets clearly in shock.
0: Just devastation, Jill, in Mississippi on Friday night. Rolling Fork was a town of just under 2,000 people. They went through absolute hell, and almost everything is gone. Many of those people, by the way, living in mobile homes had to try to survive in their bathtubs, no bunkers, no basements, So you have Rolling Fork and several other communities in ruins. Mississippi officials have set up three emergency shelters for people whose homes were destroyed. Workers are setting up cots at a National Guard armory for the hundreds of people who have nowhere to turn. The National Weather Service in Jackson said the tornado had an EF4 rating. That's top wind gusts between 166 and and 200 miles per hour. That is the second highest available rating for all tornadoes. The tornado ripped a nearly 60 mile path of destruction and the tornado was about one and a half miles wide at certain points. This is an area of the South that has seen severe weather almost every week this winter. We've talked on this podcast before about how Tornado Alley has actually moved South from the plains to the South with climate change. So you see this area around Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana alabama really getting hard hit with tornadoes in recent years jill one notable clip that got a lot of attention i posted it over on our instagram account over the weekend one local meteorologist his name is matt Lopan. he works for the nbc station in tupelo down there he was doing rolling coverage for residents literally trying to save their lives he got an update at one point late friday on how large this tornado was and he actually had to take a moment to pray take a listen here's the thing about this y'all trust me too much Okay? I tell you where
1: it goes, and some of you are like, that's where it's going to go. But the reality is, is that this could cha- be changing directions. Okay? So, Amory, we need to be in our tornado safe place. We got a new scan coming in here as we speak. Oh, man. Like, north side of Amory, this is coming in. Oh, man. Dear Jesus, please help them, amen. Okay, so he's gonna track along Highway 25. Unfortunately, this is cut
0: farther, a little bit more east. Major kudos to these local meteorologists literally trying to save lives uh, all hours of the day, especially when these storms are hitting. He is beloved in the community uh, and tried his best uh, for those who were watching on Friday night. For everyone else who wants to be able to help those uh, who suffer the destruction over the weekend, I have linked to verified GoFundMe pages in the show notes if you want to donate.
1: I was struck most by how widespread the devastation is because what you normally see with tornadoes is a very distinct path mm-hmm. where you can literally look and just see kind of like the exact place that it hit ground. Um, and, and, it might be one house, but then the house next door is fine. In this case, it was almost as far as the, the eye could see that you had this destruction, which just tells you how how massive this storm was.
0: Yeah, we've seen a few of these in recent years where they've gone through several states. They go for miles. They're on the ground for upwards of an hour or more. Just our, our hearts and prayers go out to those who uh, suffered this devastation uh, in Rolling Fork and, and that entire area.
1: Okay, now to some escalating street protests that we're watching overseas in France and Israel. Let's start in France. Giant mounds of stinking garbage bags overflow from trash cans near the Notre Dame Cathedral in the heart of Paris. Violent demonstrators in Bordeaux set fire to the doors of City Hall and tear gas laced battles have broken out in major cities between ranks of riot police and protesters. The trigger is President Emmanuel Macron's pension reform laws, which, among other things, increase the retirement age from 62 to 64. And this has reignited labor unrest, led to prolonged strikes, deepened splits in parliament and nearly brought down his government. As the opposing sides dig in, the stage is set for extended strikes in some key sectors and the specter of prolonged and violent demonstrations. Over the weekend, King Charles III forced to postpone a planned visit to France. Macron actually requested he cancel it as he was set to dine with him at the palace in Versailles, what some in the French government thought could be a pretty bad look.
0: Yeah, a, a, a British royal uh, dining with the French president at Versailles, Jill, as people protest in the streets, definitely had some Le Mis-esque quality uh, potential to that.
1: And a reminder that Macron has pushed through this wildly unpopular pension reform bill without a final vote by the National Assembly, which is the equivalent of the French Congress. He did this by invoking a controversial article of the Constitution that has infuriated opponents and it sparked one of the most serious crises in the history of the country.
0: Yeah, the protesters are actually taking this to France's highest court, protesting, saying that this move was unconstitutional. This is part of Macron's effort to a deal with the fact that France is running out of money uh, to pay for retirees. So as you noted, he's looking to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64, bringing it more in line with France's European neighbors and what we do here in the US and uh, a lot of the developed world. But it's touching on something deeper for the French, the French way of life, their social model, which once had ironclad cradle to grave protections. And then this comes on top of the war in Ukraine, rising food and energy prices, Sky-high inflation, the inflation in France, by the way, way higher than we have here in the U.S., and other economic anxieties. So this has really escalated over the last few weeks. Thursday saw one of the largest protest turnouts yet, with somewhere between 1 to 3 million people rallying across the country. Strikes are disrupting public transport, road traffic in parts of the country on a daily basis. They've blockaded several oil refineries and depots, causing fuel shortages at gas stations and airports. Meanwhile, as you mentioned, thousands of tons of trash continue to pile up in the streets of Paris and other cities as a result of the rolling walkouts by the Garbage Collectors Union. Jill, I posted a map over the weekend of Paris and the various neighborhoods, what they call the arrondissement, which parts of Paris you want to stay out of if you don't want to weave through garbage, as certain neighborhoods apparently have private trash collection versus public trash collection.
1: I sometimes would find it just nauseating in New York City when they wouldn't collect the trash for a day or two. And I cannot even imagine. I saw the pictures. It must just stink in the city right now. It's
0: really gross. (laughs) We joked about King Charles III going to Versailles. It's a real throwback to the 1700s in Paris right now, both with the smell and a potential royal British visit, uh, which has been postponed.
1: All right, Moshe, now to Israel, where Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu fired his defense minister on Sunday evening, a day after the longtime loyalist and fellow Likud party member called publicly for Netanyahu to pause controversial legislation. The now former defense minister, Yoav Gallant, called in a speech immediate suspension of Netanyahu's judicial overhaul bill, the new law that would give parliament a veto over the nation's Supreme Court, among other provisions. Gallant said the bill had created an internal rift in the country that poses a clear and immediate threat for Israel's national security. Thousands of Israeli military reservists, including in the top commando units, are boycotting service because of their opposition to the bill. Tens of thousands of Israelis took to the streets, shutting down a key highway in Tel Aviv in protest after the defense minister's dismissal was announced.
0: So this bill has been hugely controversial in Israel. It's been debated for several months now, and it does a few things. Keep in mind, Netanyahu's government has come in. It is a far-right government. They're looking at a variety of reforms. And what this bill does is give the current party in power the ability to choose judicial nominees. Now, Netanyahu and his supporters argue that the Supreme Court has become elitist, doesn't represent the Israeli people. And he compares this provision to the one in the U.S., where the U.S. president essentially gets to choose who's on the nation's federal courts. But there are a few other provisions here that are also controversial in the country. There's an override clause, which would give the Israeli parliament essentially whatever the majority party is in power, in this case Netanyahu's party, the power to pass laws previously ruled invalid by the court, essentially overriding israeli supreme court decisions then there's another provision that makes it more difficult for a sitting prime minister to be declared unfit for office and it comes as netanyahu is under multiple investigations for corruption here the protests have really escalated in the streets recently Jill, over the last several weeks sometimes seeing several hundred thousand israelis and that's significant in a country of about 9 million. It's the equivalent of 10 to 20 million Americans hitting the streets here. And it's really touched a nerve. Posted a video on Sunday. Literally, the Israeli National Philharmonic Orchestra is out there in the streets performing with protesters who have shut down the country. All the universities are partaking on Monday. Uh, It'll effectively be a national shutdown as this escalates. And now you're seeing this internal strife in Netanyahu's party, where some are saying, you know what? This reform might not be a good idea as people are so livid about this.
1: There are a lot of Israelis who feel like their very democracy is what's at stake here.
0: Absolutely. It comes as uh, in May, Israel turned 75 years old. So they're a fairly young democracy here. Some would say a super democracy. I mean, they had five elections in five years. So uh, they're still working through the system. They don't have a constitution of sorts similar to the U.S. uh, So that has meant that they're literally writing the laws as they go here, as the country develops. In this case, Netanyahu and his uh, government are trying to do some reforms here, and it has really struck a nerve, and it's gotten to the point where the defense minister of the country says, listen, I can't secure this country, given this law right now, because literally our fighters, our soldiers, some of them don't want to fight because of this, and that is where this issue has gotten. So the question is, who's going to blink, uh, and, and what happens next?
1: Most Israel, of course, is known as Startup Nation because they have so many startups, especially in the tech sector. And there's a lot of talk now, the New York Times did a piece about how a lot of tech executives are thinking about leaving, that they just don't feel good about what's going on there now.
0: Yeah, of course, many of the apps that we use have been developed over there, including Waze, uh, which was sold to Google a couple of years ago. And someone that many in the audience might be familiar with, Yuval Harari, the author uh, who wrote books like Sapiens, he's been one of the leaders in the protest movement there and has said that you know he may leave the country if this reform was to go through. All right, we have a lot more news to get to, including today's speed read and On This Day in History. And of course, we talk a lot about nostalgia on this podcast. And one thing many of us look back fondly on is the cereals we ate growing up from back in the day. So Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner on this podcast, and they've replicated some of those flavors we remember from back in the day uh, and have made them slightly more wholesome. Their peanut butter, frosty cocoa, and fruity flavors are all a hit, and so you can have that nostalgia but in a low carb way. The great thing about Magic Spoon cereal is it's gluten-free, grain-free, soy free, and sugar-free. And they have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. You can head over to magicspoon.com/slash Mo News to grab a variety pack with those four flavors: peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity to try them today. The promo code is Mo News and it'll let you save $5 upon checkout. Magic Spoon is actually so confident in their product. It's backed with what they call a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Remember, you can get your next bowl of high-protein cereal over at magicspoon.com slash monews. Use the code monews for $5 off.
1: And most, we talk a lot on this podcast about sleep studies and the importance of getting your eight hours. So we are so happy to be partnering with a brand that helps you do just that. Bowl and Branch, you'll wake up feeling rested and refreshed with the softest, most luxurious sheets from Bowl and Branch. They're made with 100 percent traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. And they've already been bought by millions.
0: Jill, I learned recently that four American presidents have used Bowl and Branch sheets.
1: It's a great trivia night question, Mosh. Best of all, Bowling Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. Sleep better at night with Bowl and Branch Sheets. Starting now, Mo News listeners can have early access to their spring sale and save 20%. Use the code Mo to get that 20% off today at com. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, B-R-A-N-C-H dot com. Promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. Exclusions apply, so see site for details. Time now for the speed read from NBC News. The city of Philadelphia saying Sunday afternoon that tap water is safe to drink after a latex emulsion spilled into the Delaware River on Friday. The city's water department saying Sunday afternoon that tap water from the Baxter drinking water treatment plant will remain safe to drink and use, at least through midnight tonight. It said water that is currently available to customers was treated before the spill reached Philadelphia. The department said the updated time is based on the time it will take river water that entered the Baxter intakes early Sunday, to move through treatment and water mains before reaching customers. The Delaware River is the source of drinking water for nearly 14 million people in four states. The city issued an advisory that residents might want to drink bottled water instead of tap water from the treatment plant out of an abundance of caution.
0: Yes, there's a lot of confusion here on Sunday because that alert about uh, bottled water came through mobile phone push alerts on Sunday afternoon. It led jill to long lines at uh, area grocery stores around the philly area and in delaware and then there was the later notice on sunday saying wait 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 we actually think it's safe to drink this water through monday night though some people are not taking any chances now health officials throughout the area say as of sunday night they haven't found any contaminants in the system but they were just putting out those notices on sunday back and forth uh, out of an abundance of caution the health officials in Bucks County, Pennsylvania said Sunday that the leak came from a chemical facility in Bristol Township, and the spill included anywhere from 8,000 to 12,000 gallons of water-based latex finishing solution into the river. The officials say at those numbers, it is non-toxic to humans, and no known adverse health effects have been reported in the county so far. It is a story we'll keep monitoring here, and again, they say, out of an abundance of caution, Go get that bottle of water. But there's been a lot of back and forth on Sunday in the area.
1: From the Financial Times, Russian President Putin announced plans on Saturday to move some tactical nuclear weapons to neighboring Belarus. It's a warning to the West as it steps up military support for Ukraine. Putin says this move was triggered by Britain's decision this past week to provide Ukraine with armor-piercing rounds containing depleted uranium. Tactical nuclear weapons are intended for use on the battlefield and have a short range and a low yield compared with much more powerful nuclear warheads fitted to long range missiles. Russia plans to maintain control over those that it sends to Belarus, and construction of storage facilities for them will be completed by July 1st, according to Russia.
0: So, Putin didn't say how many nuclear weapons uh, Russia is moving. To Belarus, the U.S. government believes that Russia has about 2,000 tactical nuclear weapons. They include bombs that can be carried by aircraft, warheads for short-range missiles, artillery rounds. When we're talking tactical weapons, as you noted, these are low-yield, but still technically nuclear weapons. We should say that Belarus has basically been made a part of Russia in recent years with a very deferential leader there, Lukashenko, who's basically a mini Putin. So the fact that Putin is moving weapons there uh, is, for the most part, rhetorical, because geographically speaking, the Russians already have these weapons on the Russian side of the Ukraine border. Putin, by the way, argues that by deploying his weapons in Belarus, Russia is just doing what the U.S. does, where the U.S. has nuclear weapons in NATO countries like Belgium, Germany, Italy, and the Netherlands. So Russia has stored these weapons in depots in their own territory, but moving some of their arsenal over to Belarus does up the ante, so to speak. And it's a throwback to last spring where Putin was invoking nuclear weapons and those types of threats early in the war to try to deter the West from helping Ukraine. This will be the first time since the 90s that Russia has had nuclear weapons outside of its border. Okay,
1: an important story. If you're planning to travel overseas from CNN, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the State Department is facing an unprecedented demand for passports and has increased staffing and resources to deal with it. Blinken said the current wait time for a regular passport is about 10 to 13 weeks. And then for an expedited passport, it's going to take about seven to nine weeks. The State Department's getting 500,000 applications a week for passports. That's 30 to 40% more applicants this year than last year. He says, historically, the demand's been cyclical. The busy season is usually March to late summer, but now it is full time. So they've hired staff to make sure that they've got customer service, phone lines manned. And he says that they've got more people in the pipeline.
0: Yeah, Jill, it appears that many Americans let their passports lapse during COVID and everyone's like, oh, I want to travel again. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna travel again. Oh, man, my passport's expired. I got to renew it. So officially, 22 million passports, which is a record, were issued last year. And the State Department believes they will break that record in 2023, which I guess is a good thing. Americans are getting abroad, getting out and about. Just the State Department does not have the capacity right now to deal with it in as fast a way as they would like to. So Blinken noted that the department did launch a pilot online renewal platform that allows Americans to renew their passport online, but they've had to halt it so they can, quote, fine-tune it and improve it. They expect that once it's up and running, two-thirds of renewal customers will be able to do so online. They say they're trying to be transparent here, but uh, keep in mind, it's going to take a little bit of time, especially if you're looking to get out of the country very soon, When it comes to visas, the State Department says delays have begun to improve. The priority right now is the categories of students, temporary workers, business travelers, and maritime crews. And they've tried to make sure that they are served and they're at pre-pandemic levels or better in those categories. For visitor visas, the median global interview appointment wait time is two months which was half of what it was a year ago. But the State Department does note that wait times are actually lower in most places. So if you're an American looking to go abroad, you got delays for your passport. If you're a non-American looking to come here, there's been visa delays, but I guess they're pretty bullish right now that those delays are uh, getting shorter and shorter. From NPR, actionist Gwyneth Paltrow
1: took the stand in a Park City, Utah courtroom on Friday to testify in a trial over a 2016 skiing crash in the state. Paltrow is accused of crashing into Terry Sanderson, a 76-year-old retired optometrist, causing several serious injuries and then abandoning him. He says this happened while they were both skiing on a beginner slope at Deer Valley Resort seven years ago, and he is now suing her for $300,000 in damages. Paltrow claims the opposite took place, that he crashed into her. In her testimony Friday, she said she and her children were taking a ski lesson on the day of the crash. Paltrow repeated her claim that Sanderson had skied directly into her back and that he was the one who caused the accident. She described Sanderson being uphill from her and her family when he suddenly plowed into her back, delivering a full body blow. Her words, according to Paltrow, she was angry with Sanderson and he apologized.
0: So, Jill, in this lawsuit, both parties want the other to cover their legal costs. Sanderson is now seeking the $300,000 in damages you mentioned. He had previously sought $3 million from Paltrow, though that was rejected by a court. In return, Paltrow is countersuing him for $1 in honorary damages in her suit, in addition to legal fees. It was pretty compelling testimony on Friday afternoon, entertaining at times, odd at times. I want to play a clip here from Sanderson's attorney questioning Paltrow about the collision. Again, Paltrow maintaining it was Sanderson who hit her. And here she is talking about what happened as they both fell down.
2: And so you guys are on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you said to him, I think you don't know if you were up or if you were still on the ground, but he was still on the ground, right? Yes. When you said, What are you doing? Yes. Okay like why did you do that yes and he said i think you skied into me yes and that's when you were furious and said you skied directly into my effing back at Sorry. the top of your lungs yes i did okay i apologize for my bad language and well in fact you were screaming that so hard you were worried that moses was hearing you yes okay um And after you were screaming to him, isn't that when Mr. Sanderson said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? He said, I said, you skied directly into my effing back. And he said, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. Right. And that was you screaming at him while he's on the ground still. Right? I was yelling at him. Pretty loud. Pretty forceful. I was pretty upset. Right. You're small but mighty. Actually,
0: you're not that small. Just to clarify here, Moses is her young son. She was uh, concerned, Gwyneth was concerned that Moses was hearing her drop these obscenities uh, and yelling really loudly. The lawyer for Sanderson, clearly getting a little snarky there, being like, you're small but mighty. Actually, you aren't that small. Uh, Her point, by the way, Gwyneth is 5'10". She's trying to prove that she's big enough to have caused injuries to her client. And what she's trying to say with this whole uh, apology thing is that he only apologized to her because she was yelling at him uh, so loudly that he wasn't apologizing to show that he was to blame here, but just apologizing because, you know, she was saying, you skied into my effing back.
1: The whole thing is so bizarre. You almost can't help but laughing when you watch it. I don't know if the humor comes across when you're just listening to it. I think it's just watching her facial reactions that are just so entertaining.
0: Clearly, Gwyneth, on hearing back uh, how she was yelling at him, like felt bad, and so she turns to the jury and she's like, "I'm sorry for my language." Uh, you can watch the clip over on the Mo News Instagram account. There was another clip, Jill, where the where the lawyer for Sanderson was like, "You know, he was injured; he had a concussion, etc." Uh, but you know, you're saying that like this was really bad for you, and Gwyneth replies with, "Yes, I lost a half day skiing." Jill, there are so many exchanges we could go through here. I could take up the next half an hour with my favorite exchanges. There's just one more. I will play for everyone. This is, again, the lawyer for Sanderson establishing Gwyneth's size uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow talking about their heights.
2: May I ask how tall you are? I'm just under 5'10". Okay. I am so jealous. I think I'm shrinking though. (laughs) You and me both. I have to wear four-inch heels just to make it to 5'5". They're very nice. Thank you.
0: So just some really... Bizarre moments in this trial, Jill. It'll uh, continue today in a courtroom. Uh, We'll see what comes of it. Again, clearly Gwyneth Paltrow here deciding that uh, she does not want to pay him off $300,000, that she feels he's taking advantage of her, that he was the one guilty here. So she's willing to uh, go to court to fight this. uh, And it's unclear whether the Sanderson attorney made a good enough case, at least based on the testimony I watched on Friday.
1: It's really a he said, she said, um, literally. But you and I were talking uh, a little bit before the podcast. What is Gwyneth thinking? Why wouldn't she just pay him? I, look, $300,000 to me or to you or to most people is a lot of money. To Gwyneth Paltrow, it's nothing. I think
0: it's a principal thing. I guess I think so. she doesn't want to be taken advantage. And she's like, no, you crashed into me. I literally yelled at you. You crashed into my effing back. Like it was your fault, you said sorry, then you've been heard saying to people this guy has, that he's like, oh, I'm famous now, maybe I can get some money. And so then he tried to sue for three million, rejected, trying to sue for 300,000, and she's gonna take a stand here, even if it meant literally going on the stand and having these sorts of exchanges that you know will live on as memes for a while.
1: Okay, I'm convinced she's doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> From ESPN, the men's NCAA Final Four in basketball is set. After several wild finishes the past few days, next weekend's final will feature three first-time ever participants in the Final Four. So you've got five-seed San Diego State will be playing number nine seed Florida Atlantic University. That's this Saturday. It will be a clash of two first-time Final Four participants Then you've got four seed UConn that will be facing five seed University of Miami in the other Final Four matchup. It is also Miami's first time in the Final Four round. UConn is the only team that's ever made it this far. The winners of the two games will then face off in the national title game, which is next Monday night.
0: Right. UConn is the most experienced men's team here. They have six previous appearances in the Final Four four previous championships but then you have the other three teams which uh, have never won a championship so there is a likelihood here of a first-time winner which is pretty cool so those two games you laid out jill will happen on saturday the national championship game on monday night meanwhile the women's teams are battling out as we tape this late on sunday night there's two more games today monday maryland and south carolina and then ohio state and virginia tech to determine the women's Final Four. The Final Four women's teams will then face off on Friday with the championship game next Sunday.
1: Okay, from the Associated Press, is it classical art or pornography? A Florida charter school principal has been forced to resign after a parent complained that sixth graders were exposed to, quote, pornography as they were taught about Renaissance art that included a photo of Michelangelo's famous David sculpture, that principal, Hope Carasquilla of the Tallahassee Classical School, resigned last week after an ultimatum from the school board's chairman. One parent complained that the material was pornographic, and two other parents said that they wanted to be notified of the lesson about the statue before it was given to their children. The instruction also included Michelangelo's creation of Adam painting and Botticelli's Birth of Venus The 17-foot David marble statue dates back to the year 1504. It depicts David ready to fight Goliath. It's considered to be one of the most famous pieces of art in history. In an interview with Slate Magazine, the school board's chairperson said that the issue was not that Renaissance art was shown to 11- and 12-year-olds, but rather that the parents were not notified beforehand.
0: Jill, the story's already gotten attention across the pond over in Italy. They're reacting to the story. The Florence Museum that houses the Michelangelo David statue said on Sunday that they want to invite parents and students from the charter school to come visit this statue and see how important it is. The mayor of Florence, Dario Nardella, also tweeted an invitation for the principal to visit so he can personally honor her. Confusing art with pornography was ridiculous, according to the Italians. The principal says she's very honored by the invitation. She's been to Italy before, but she may accept and actually head to Florence now. Several parents and teachers plan to protest tonight at the school board meeting and are hoping to bring the principal back to the school in an interview with the AP on Sunday. She said she isn't sure whether she would come back even if the job is offered to her again.
1: As I said at the top of this podcast, if you think that the David statue is pornography, you've never seen pornography.
0: (laughs) It's a picture of a statue made more than 500 years ago. Now, again, there were three parental complaints here, Jill. One, with a pornography complaint. Two, saying, I just want to know in advance what you're teaching my kids. This is a charter school. They're subject to certain rules. And uh, the school says these are the rules that you have to let parents know in advance everything you're teaching them if it's remotely questionable. But again, if you think that sixth graders, that this is the worst thing sixth graders are seeing, a picture of Michelangelo's David, have you heard of the Internet?
1: I mean, I don't want to be too opinionated here, but I feel like Jill permission to opine. I also feel like the school board president, like the school board that gave her the ultimatum, have a little backbone school board. I mean, this is embarrassing for the
0: school. It just it's embarrassing for the school ultimately just say listen our bad it's a mistake I don't know you know like put her on probation for a week saying tis, tis teacher you know that you have to tell, is it even you know, in I advance. mean is
1: it even they're bad it's, I don't know I, you know, I, I d- mean this feels I, like a nothing burger I'm I actually it's, think it's cool that they're learning about it
0: I feel like Renaissance art is a part of most sixth grade curricula in this country though Jill it comes at this time where there's been this big push for parental rights quote unquote parental rights we need to know what our kids are are doing. And it's leading to this micromanagement of literally every single lesson.
1: Look, if you're outraged about everything, then it all becomes meaningless.
0: Okay, now time for On This Day in History. We're going to start 70 years ago this week in 1953, when Dr. Jonas Salk announced that he had successfully tested a vaccine against polio. All right, fast forward to 1979, 44 years ago today, Egypt and Israel announced that they would be signing uh, their famous peace agreement. There would eventually be a, a famous ceremony on the White House lawn with President Jimmy Carter at the time. A bit of food history for everyone today. This week in 1995, Pizza Hut officially introduced its stuffed crust pizza.
1: Just confirming, Moshe, that it's stuffed with cheese, correct? (laughs)
0: Yes, this was the big innovation, Jill, that discovered a place in the pizza to put yet more cheese. They're like, you know, it would be great. Let's put some cheese inside the crust because the crust is kind of boring if it's just bread. This was a revelation in 1995. Jill, staying with the earlier theme of Michelangelo's David, uh, I want to wish a happy 25th birthday to Viagra. On this day (laughs) in 1998, Pfizer officially got FDA approval for the use of Viagra to treat ED, erectile dysfunction.
1: No comment.
0: <laughs> Jill, a couple birthdays today. First, I'd like to wish my nephew Aiden a happy 13th birthday. Aiden, if you're listening to the podcast today, you also celebrate today with Quentin Tarantino, who turns 60, and Mariah Carey, who turns 53. You girl and you gone too far cuz you know it don't matter anyway. You can rely on the old man's money. You can rely on the old man's years money. 46 years ago this week in 1977, Jill Rich Girl by Holland Oates hit number 1 on the Billboard charts. It would be followed a couple of years later by Gwen Stefani's Rich Girl.
1: I am a huge fan most of covers, so for anybody who likes covers, may I recommend Lake Street Dive. It's a group. They have the most amazing cover of Rich Girl. Mm. Look it up on YouTube, Spotify, whatever it is, that, wherever you get your music. I promise you'll like it.
0: to make a change. <laughs> Okay, this week, 35 years ago, in 1988, Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson reached number one on the Billboard charts. Hello? I wish I was a bit I wish and Gen Xers and the Elder Millennial set will remember this song from the mid 90s. On this day, 28 years ago, Skilo released his song, I Wish.
1: Another song, Mosh, that you cannot not be happy when you hear. <laughs>
0: The lyrics there are just... It's just great. Skilo really went above and beyond with the lyrics here, Jill. I wish I had a rabbit and a hat and <laughs> a bat and a six-four Impala. Like, it just keeps going and going. And I feel like it works for like every 10th news story I post on, uh, on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, on that note, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the app store so we can continue to grow.
0: And don't forget to follow us over on the gram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H, uh, the Mo News Instagram account for the latest and greatest. We went uh, deep this weekend into a couple international stories. And of course, as we do weekly, I'll be live answering your questions about the news uh, tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. So check us out over there on the ground.
1: Bye bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.